are in our series called uh, Family Trip. And uh, so we've got a Bible, open it up uh, to Genesis chapter 19. Uh, we're looking at the family, and we've been kind of looking at it through the lens of the family of Abraham. And, uh, you know, sometimes when you take a family trip, things uh, don't turn out exactly like you like. Sometimes you get into scary situations. I remember one time I took our family on a vacation, and I was really trying to do it on a shoestring budget. And so I thought, you know, I really need to get a good deal on a hotel. And I had a friend that was in the hotel business. He said, I got you fixed up, Craig. I got this friend of mine in Florida, and he's got a boutique hotel. And uh, he'll give you this great rate. And I was like, hey, boutique hotel, that sounds really fancy, you know. And uh, I'm in. I mean, it was cheap, dirt cheap. I was like, I'm so in. So I was bragging all the way to Florida to Liz about what a great deal we got on this hotel, how it's boutique hotel. It's going to be fantastic. So we get to this place, and it was not really in the best part of town. And, uh, and then we go in, and the lobby was a little scary. Then they had this little red elevator that still to this day creeps my daughters out. Remember that little scary red elevator? And so we get in this red elevator. We got to our room, and there were, I don't know how to put this. There were pictures on the walls that were not necessarily family friendly. And yet they were, they were like drilled into the wall. And so like we were like putting towels over. Don't look at these kids, you know. And I remember our youngest daughter, she was little at the time. She said, Daddy, is it safe for us to be here? I'm like, oh, yeah, it's perfectly safe. Don't go outside. Yeah. Uh, needless to say, we, we, we stayed the night, and then we were out there out the next day. Uh, sometimes you get into scary situations when you take a family trip, and we're going to learn of a scary situation today that happened in Abraham's life. And, uh, and, and so let me kind of set the stage for you. Genesis chapter 19, let me kind of set the stage. God has come to Abraham. And he has told Abraham that he is going to destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah because of their wickedness. And uh, as, as Abraham is hearing this, he's reminded that he has a nephew Lot that lives in Sodom. It'd be kind of like God coming to you and saying, I'm going to destroy Las Vegas, and you've got relatives that live in Las Vegas. And so Abraham goes to kind of appeal to God to hold back his wrath. And he said, God, if there are 50 righteous people, surely you wouldn't sweep away all the, uh, uh, the, the righteous with the unrighteous. And God said, no, I, I wouldn't do it for 50. And then he said, well, what about if there were 40? God, would you hold back your judgment then? Yes, for 40. What about 30, God? What about 20? What about 10, God? Would you hold back your judgment for 10? And he said, yes, even if there were just 10 people in the city that was not... Uh, that was not swept away in wickedness, I would hold back my wrath. But the sad reality was there wasn't even 10 people. There weren't even 10 people in the city that loved God. And so God sent two angels into Sodom. And they were there for, for two reasons. One was to rescue Lot, the nephew of Abraham and his family, and then to bring judgment on uh, the city. And so that's kind of where we pick up the story with these angels walking into town. All right, and they are—they're not like angels, like we would think, like glowing with halos and and uh, and wings and so on. They—they they just appear as normal men, but they are—they're sent from God. So let's pick up Genesis 19, verse one. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening. Lot was sitting in the gate of, the, of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed down with his face to the earth and said, "My lords, please turn aside." To your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. 
Then you may rise up early and go your own way. And they said, no, we will we'll spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly. So they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread and they ate. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people, uh, to the last man surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight, bring them out to us that we may know them. And Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known a man. Let, let me bring them to you that you may do as you please. Only do, not, do nothing to these men for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, stand back. And they said, this fellow uh, came to sojourn and he has become our judge. Uh, now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door down. Now stop right there. Pretty, pretty dramatic story. Uh, in fact, as I was thinking about this story, I was thinking about our world is filled with dangerous cities, dangerous places. I did a little uh, research this week, found that the most dangerous cities in the world, number one most dangerous city in the world, according to recent data, is uh, Los Cabos, Mexico. Los Cabos, Mexico has, I think they are... Uh, Homicide rate is 111.33 per 100,000 people. That's a dangerous city with the cartels and all the violence that's happening in that area. Second most dangerous is Caracas, Venezuela, which has been the most dangerous city for many, many years uh, until just this year. Uh, I started thinking, what was the most dangerous city in the United States? Which is not in the top 10, but it is on number 13 of the most dangerous cities in the world. St. Louis is the most dangerous city in the United States. Uh, it was a surprise to me. So if you're planning to vacation in any of these three spots, you might want to reconsider. I'm just saying. You heard it from Pastor Craig. Uh, but in Abraham's time, the most dangerous city in the world was Sodom. Sodom was a wicked, wicked place. It had a reputation for its wickedness. It was known for its sexual perversion and, uh, and depravity. In fact, uh, here in this story, you know, these, these men come over, surround Lot, and they say, bring out these men that are visiting so that we may know them. The word know, a Hebrew word, yodah, has a sexual implication to it. It was a sexually perverted place, a wicked and dark place, and it was known for that. It was also known for its violence. These men gather around like some kind of weird zombie movie and are banging on the doors and trying to drag these people out. It was a violent, dangerous place. So much so that when Lot saw a guest coming in in the evening, they said, you cannot be out here at night. You cannot be out here at night. It's a dangerous, wicked place. It's a violent place. It was also a very godless place. I mean, there was no fear of God. There was no awareness of God. There was no awareness of right and wrong. It was a dangerous, godless place place. In many ways, it was like the days of Noah before God brought judgment on the whole earth. It says in the days of Noah, in Genesis 5, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. Can you imagine that? Every thought of every person was only on evil and Sodom was the most dangerous place. And this is where Lot chose to raise his family. Lot could have chosen any place 
in, in the land to raise his family. And yet he chose, even knowing all this, he chose to live in Sodom. Can you imagine raising your family in Sodom? Can you imagine what it would be like to raise your family in a place like that? And yet, as I was thinking about that this week, uh, our country is becoming more and more like Sodom. Uh, we have uh, immorality at every turn. Uh, every kind of uh, virtue and things that are pure and right or good are under attack now, and things that are, that are, are evil in God's sight are, are promoted. Uh, we're, we're sliding towards Sodom. We're sliding towards Sodom. And Jesus said it would be this way. He said, before he comes, before he comes, there will be a time when the world will end up like this. He said in uh, Luke 17, he said, just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the day of the Son of Man. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, so it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In other words, before Christ comes, it's going to look just like Sodom. It's going to look like the days of Noah. So here's the question. How do you raise your kids in an environment like that? How do you raise your children in a culture that's sliding towards Sodom? How do you raise your grandchildren? How do you raise godly kids in a godless world? That's a really important, relevant, timely question. And I think that that is answered right here. And we're going to look at Lot and we're going to see, actually, Lot's going to be our bad example, all right? Sometimes you learn from bad example. You have a bad boss, you go, I'm never going to be a boss like him, right? Or like her. Well, in this way, we're going to say, okay, here what, here's what Lot did. We want to do the opposite of that. And Lot is going to teach us how to raise godly kids in a godless world. I'm going to give you a couple of things. I want you to write them down so that you can talk about them during the week, all right? Here's the first one. First thing I want you to write down is this. You must prioritize Christian community. You must make Christian community a priority in your family. Lot chose the wrong community. Lot could have chosen, like I said, any, Genesis 13. He could have chosen any place to live, and he chose that community to live in. And then when we notice him, first time we see him, he's actually sitting at the gate. That was a place where the leaders sat, where the business deals were made, where the, where the court decisions were laid out. And so somehow Lot had risen to a place of leadership. And you're like, Lot, you saw all this craziness around you. Why did you stay? You know, maybe the business was just too good. Or maybe he had risen to a status that he was afraid he would lose if he'd go somewhere else. Maybe he justified in his mind, you know, it'll be okay. The kids will adapt and it'll be okay. But it wasn't okay. He stayed in a bad place. And it hurt his family. Now listen, I'm not talking about choosing community. I'm not talking about the neighborhood in which you live. What I'm talking about is choosing Christian community. It is vital. I cannot say this enough times. It is vital that you have your children in a church. There are people that love God and love you and will encourage you and help you as you raise your children. It is absolutely vital. That you surround yourself with people who believe the same thing you believe, that will hold the same moral values, and will speak into their lives. You know why? Because there are voices all around your children that are negative voices. Voices through the media, voices through every movie, voices through social media, and guess what? It's in their pocket 24-7. It's right here, this little guy right here. 
is constantly calling out to them and speaking to them and teaching them the things that are against what you believe. And so you need other voices around them that they know that can speak into their life. And I, I tell you what, we've raised two daughters. And, and I cannot tell you, we, there's no way we could have raised our girls without other people in their life speaking to them. People that taught them in Sunday school and people that took them out for uh, coffee and, and Cokes after ball games and, and just invested in their life. Still to this day, there are people in our church that call them up and pray for them and encourage them. And we need that. We need that. You need other voices around your children that will speak to them of the things of God. Um, Hebrews 10 says this, verse 25, Let us not neglect meeting together as some do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Especially now. Now more than ever before, we need each other. And that's why we don't, we don't just go to church and go, just kind of audit a sermon. We go to church to be involved in a community. And listen, if you're here today and you're like, well, you know, we kind of come and go every other week, whatever. No, no, you're, you're missing the point. You need this community. You need to be in a group. Your kids need to be uh, with other kids. you, you got to be in a place that's going to be building them up spiritually because you're trying to counteract all the negative voices that are coming at them. You have to prioritize Christian community. And let me just say this as a side note. I've talked to several men now that have raised their kids. And I say, would, what would you do differently if you could go back and do it all over again? What would you do differently? And they say, Craig, let me tell you what I'd do. You say, you know, I spent a lot of Sundays, a lot of weekends on the ball field, a lot of weekends at the dance recitals, a lot of weekends with that select league. And he said, I realize now they play great ball, but it did not help them learn to be godly people when they got older. Listen, you cannot minimize Christian community when they're young and expect them to maximize Christian community when they're older. Just can't do it. So those are decisions you make now. Those are decisions that, you know what? This is our church family. These are the people we love. These voices are important. These are the people I want you to be around. That is essential to raising godly kids in a godless world. Number two, jot this second one down, and I'm going to talk to the dads here. Fathers, you got to lead courageously. Now, I'm going to come in on the dads here for just a minute because Lot failed to protect his family. I mean, think about it. He even offers up his own daughters to these crazy men. I mean, how sick is that? But yet he, when he had the opportunity to protect, when he had the opportunity to do what was right for his family, he failed to do that because he was passive. He, he was passive in the spiritual things of life. Listen, in this crazy world, we need dads that will be engaged with their children and engaged with their family more than ever before. I mean, listen, you know all the stats of, of children that grow up in a fatherless home. You know, you've heard all these things before. 90% of kids that are homeless, 85% of those who have behavioral issues, 71% percent of those who drop out, 63% that commit suicide all come from fatherless homes. And it is a real problem. When, when the father abandons, chaos ensues. And, and, and listen, uh, I, I was just thinking about David Black, Blackenhorn. He's a guy that was uh, part of the Institute of American Values. He was appointed by George W. Bush uh, to the National Commission of American Urban Families. He founded what is known as the National Fatherhood Initiative, this is what he said. 
I'll put this on the screen. The most important domestic challenge facing the United States at the core of the 20th century is the recreation of fatherhood as a vital social role for men. At stake is nothing less than the success of the American experiment. For unless we reverse the trend of fatherlessness, no other set of accomplishment, not economic growth or prison construction or welfare reform or better schools will succeed in arresting the decline of child well-being and the spread of male violence. To tolerate the trend of fatherlessness is to accept the inevitability of continued social recession. Those are haunting words that we're going to continue to decline unless fathers step up to the plate. And here's why. Because God gave fathers to set boundaries. And God gave fathers to protect. And God gave fathers to speak in and to rein in things that would otherwise be chaotic. And so that's why we need you fathers. If you are a father, this is your time to say, man, this is my job to engage as a father. And I, I'm thankful for an opportunity to, you know, I had a dad that was engaged with me when I was a knucklehead, all right? I still am a knucklehead a lot of times, but when, when, I, when I was a teenager, I remember one time my dad expected me to be home at a certain time, and uh, I wasn't home at that time, so he went out looking for me. And uh, he got in his car, and he started driving around, he went by my girlfriend's house, and sure enough, there I was, standing on the front porch of my girlfriend's house. And I just saw the car go by, and I recognized it, and fear shot through my soul. I said, bye, and I got in my car, and I, I beat him home, and I don't know how, because he was just a few blocks away. I beat him home. Mom said, you better get in that bed right now. And I said, I'm going. He opened up the door. He said, never again. And I was like, yes, sir. See, that's a dad that's engaged. And we, we, listen, it's easy to bury your head in your hobbies, or easy to bury your head in your work. It's easy to pretend that things will be, you know, not so bad, or they'll be okay later, but we need dads that step in and have the hard conversations that create the boundaries, and create, say, say, don't cross over that line. It's not good for you. It's not good for the family. We need that. I talked to a guy this week that his son is going through a really hard time, and, uh, but he's been engaged. I looked at him over the table and I said, listen, I want to thank you for being a dad that's engaged. I know it's hard. I know it hurts you, but you're in it. And you'll look back on this and your son will be glad that you were in it with him. So you need dads that are engaged. Lot failed to do that. Lot failed to engage and his family paid a really high price. Let me give you, let me give you a, a third thing and that's teach your children early and often. Teach your children early and often. Lot, Lot failed to teach his kids about the Lord. He said, how do you know that? Well, if you continue to read the story, these, this crowd is banging on the door, and, and all of a sudden the angels do a kind of a flashbang. They blind everybody, and so the crowd kind of disperses. And then down, look at verse 7. I mean, look at verse 12. Just zip on down here to verse 12. The angels speak to Lot, and they say this, have you anyone else here, sons-in-laws, Sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city, bring them out of this place. For we are about to destroy this place because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and he said to his sons-in-law who were to marry his daughters, Get up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. 
thought it was a big joke. I mean, think about that. I mean, they're like, Lot, go get whoever, whoever's in your family. Man, you better go get them now because it's about to come down. And so he goes to his son, sons-in-law, and, and he's trying to convince them to come with him. And he's like, God's going to destroy the city. And they're like, well, man, what's up with you, old man? Man, you, are you sleepwalking? What are you crazy? You've been drinking something? This is, is this a joke? God's going to destroy it. God's not going to destroy anything. Go back to bed, Lot. Go back to bed. It's obvious that he had never had. A spiritual conversation with these men. He probably never had, he probably talked to them about sports all day long. He talked to them about business all day long. He talked to them about leadership or about politics. He talked about everything, but he never had the spiritual conversation about where they stand with God. What a tragedy. Listen, folks, if, 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 you, if you think you can wait till your kids or teenagers start having spiritual conversations, you've waited too late you got to teach them early, and you got to teach them often. Early and often. Early and often. This is why this room is decorated with balloons, all right? This is why we are so committed to, uh, uh, to reaching this next generation, because we need to teach them early and teach them often about the grace of God. And that's what the Bible says in Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. He says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I give you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you go to bed and when you get up. I love how he starts off. He said, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And you commit your whole heart to walking with God. Then you talk to your kids about it. And you talk it to them when they get up, and when they go to bed, and when you're watching TV, and when you're taking them to the ball game, and when you're taking them to school, and every other time you're talking to them about the things of God, because they see you loving the Lord, and you wholeheartedly pursuing Christ, and that makes them want to do the same. Sad reality is, I hear all the stats all the time, oh, all the teenagers are leaving the church, you know, some crazy number. But you know what? That starts at home. Do we see mom and dad pursuing God wholeheartedly? That is their passion. He is their love, their delight. And are they speaking in their, in their lives day in and day out? That's what God says early and often, early and often, early and often. Opening up the Bible. Early and often talking about the things of God. I got a text this week. I've got one of my... My youngest daughter is kind of on a mission trip experience for the summer. And uh, she sent me a text this week. She said, Dad, I got to share the gospel with two girls. Man, my heart was just excited for her. She's growing. I got a phone call with my oldest daughter that's in New York. And she's with a Christian group that prayer walks the theater area. They're reaching out. They're discipling and training and sharing the gospel with people that are coming in that theater area. And I just thought, you know what, that, that's the end goal of our parenting. Our end goal of our parenting is not just that they get out of school and get a job. The end goal of our parenting is that we take them out of the quiver and we put them in our bow and we release them into adulthood as lights in a very dark world. So that, so that they become a light that points their generation to Christ. And that's what God wants with your family. That's what God wants with my family. And it's going to take all this. It's going to take us 
commit, you're prioritizing Christian community and, and dads leading the way and, and us teaching them early and often, letting them see our example of our love for God. And listen, you may hear that and you may say, Craig, you know, I just feel like a failure right now because I don't think I did any of that. I don't think I did any of those things. Or you might say, Craig, I did all that stuff. Man, I had them in church all the time, and I tried to walk with God, and I had those hard conversations. I did all that kind of stuff, and my kids are still not walking with God. Listen, whether that either case is the fact in your family, here's what I want you to know. And I want you to hear this from my heart. God's mercy is still active. And God will show mercy to you and to your family as you pursue him. Think about the mercy God showed Lot. Lot failed in every one of these categories. All right, F, F, F. His report card was a failure. And yet God still showed him mercy. God, if you continue to read the story, it says the angels literally put their hands on Lot and on his family and drug them out of the city before fire came down. I mean, that was God's mercy. Why? Did, did Lot deserve that? No. Lot didn't deserve it, but God showed him mercy anyway. God showed him mercy anyway. Not only did he rescue him, but 2 Peter 2, just write this down, 2 Peter 2, verses 7 through 9. This is what it says. If God rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his, they were, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds, and he saw what he saw and heard, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trial. Not only did he rescue Lot, but he calls him righteous. Three times in that verse, he calls him righteous Lot. And you're like, man, how in, this guy, how in the world does this guy get called righteous? The same way we get called righteous. And that is because Lot, with all of his failures and all of his compromises, all his mess-ups and screw-ups, Lot trusted God. And he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Listen, that's how you and I are right with God. Because we're messed up. We're, we're just like a lot. We're compromised. We're messed up. We made bad choices. We do a lot of things that are wrong. And, and we're sinful to the core. And yet, when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we can be saved. And God says that through faith we are accredited as righteous before him because of what Jesus Christ has done. There's a foreshadowing here of Jesus. Just as the angels came and they rescued Lot, the Bible says that Christ came. That Christ came to this world when we were far from God and wrapped up in our sinfulness and our own disobedience. And Christ came and he died on a cross. And on the cross, all the judgment of God was poured out on the cross. Just like it was poured out on Sodom. And Jesus took it all. God punished him as if he had sinned our sin. And Jesus died in your place and he died in my place. This is the gospel. That Jesus died for us and he suffered the wrath of God so we don't have to. And then he offers this great exchange. If you will believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you can be called righteous and clean and right with God. Listen, this, this is where it starts. You want godly kids that live in a godless world that starts with you. Do you know Christ? Have you come to that place of realizing your own sinfulness and your need for God's forgiveness? That's what God wants to do. He wants to change you today. He wants to make you a new person today. He wants to forgive you and make you new. But you've got to turn to him. You've got to turn to him. 
want to give you an opportunity to do that right now.